you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Guys, thanks for tuning in. As anyone who listens to this podcast knows, I am a huge fan of building a brand. And I recommend to any restaurant out there, don't run a restaurant, build a strong restaurant brand. So I'm super excited to be talking to the CEO of a 102-year-old iconic and very classic brand. Now, I remember being a kid, you know, going to this place and the drive-up car hop service and the frosty mugs of root beer, I could only be talking about A&W. So listen on, we're going to be talking all about what their operational strategy is and how this company has posted double digit growth the past two years in a row, including during COVID, what their COVID strategy was, which might surprise you, and all the operational details of running a really strong restaurant brand. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned. I've always believed in systems to run a really effective restaurant. They say you have a system if you can walk away and leave your place for a day, a week, or a month, and it's just as successful, just as profitable when you return, if not more so. Now, the staff are really the foundation of this, and it all comes down to the word empowerment. You know, if you've got really great people and if you can develop those people to have your back and to run it as if they owned it, treat everything as if they had to pay for it, that's a super powerful system. Once you have the staff in place, it really comes down to three things. It comes down to, one, staff training. Development, recognition, and rewards to create what I call your dream team. How to empower your team to think and act like owners and to treat everything as if they owned it and had to pay for it. And to deliver amazing guest service experiences to your customers. To serve and sell because sales are the lifeblood of your business. Not allowing order takers on the floor, but teaching everyone to recognize opportunities and make suggestions that we know the customers will enjoy and appreciate. It all comes down to training, training, training. Number two, cost controls and maximizing profit. You need to know your critical financial numbers on a weekly basis, and it only takes 10 minutes, but you need to understand these things. How about your daily break even? How much it costs you to open the doors to your restaurant each day? Inventory is not just walking around and figuring out what your order is that week. It's knowing the true value of your goods on hand at any given point in time. And you need this information to be able to calculate your true food and beverage costs. Your labor costs are also important. And running a weekly labor analysis against sales. If you know these things, I can teach you how to maximize your profit and control your costs. And then number three is what I call marketing firepower and affinity. You know, affinity is defined as a really powerful sense of loyalty and belonging where your customers become raving fans and they're like an army of brand ambassadors spreading the word for your restaurant. Well, all of this is included in the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. If you really want to take your restaurant to the next level, post-pandemic, things are heating up, customers are coming back, Now's the time to really maximize your opportunities, maximize your sales and profits, and create that dream team staff. Check it out at restaurantrockstars.com. It's the Restaurant Rockstars Academy.
Thanks so much. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and these are engaging topics that help restaurants rock their profits, build their brands, and deliver amazing guest service experiences. I am so excited today to host Mr. Kevin Basner, and he is the CEO of the iconic A&W chain across the country with over 500 locations. The brand is over 102 years old. I think they say it's older than sliced bread itself. Welcome to the show, Kevin. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thanks, Roger. It's great to be here. And yeah, I'm not sure when sliced bread was uh, invented, but yeah, I I think we might be older than sliced bread. So yeah, that's great. Now, now this This brand, I have so many recollections of being a child. I grew up in Western Massachusetts, and one of my favorite places was A&W. And back then, you know, there was this the car hop service with the trays, you know, that they put in the window, and you'd kind of pull up. And the root beer, right, continues to be, you know, this huge, iconic, uh, you know, you have a raving fan base just for the root beer itself. And I think that helped to build the brand. I want to get into all that, and we'll talk about the history, of course. But let me begin by asking you your hospitality backstory. You know, did you work in this business as a youngster? Did you get inspired, passionate about, you know, the restaurant business? And how did you end up as CEO of A&W? Well, it's a, uh, a 50-year story, so I'll make it short. Okay, well, that's uh, interesting. I, I, actually started in, uh, I actually started my career uh, as a dishwasher, uh, and I was 14 years old. I always said I was 50. My mother, uh, bless her, says I was uh, not quite 15 yet when I started washing dishes in the industry. And it was for a local uh, pancake house, if you may. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that and bus tables and worked as a short order cook and a bartender and got into management. uh, And I've been in the, literally been in the the, uh, hospitality business and the restaurant business my entire uh, career. You know, it's amazing that you can start off in this business as a dishwasher and literally end up at the very top of the industry. And that's certainly your case. Now, my first job was a dishwasher at a country club. I think I was very quickly promoted to bartender, and I obviously made a lot more money doing that. But I think that was my baptism by fire into the restaurant business. I learned the true meaning of hospitality and what it means to serve the guest. And little did I know then that I would end up you know, having a, an illustrious restaurant career of my own. But I'd like to share a story because as long as we're talking about dishwashing and you've become CEO after a 50-year career and covering all those positions within this industry, you've got a really strong feel for it. You know, my very first employee when I started a restaurant in 19... Uh, Let's see, it was 1995 we opened the doors to our first place. I had a 15-year-old dishwasher that I could just tell wanted to stay in the business. He wanted to learn everything he could about it. He was my first employee. Within three weeks, he was closing the restaurant for us three nights a week, sending the credit card batch, locking the doors, setting the alarm so we could go home early. And then over the years, he just wanted to be mentored. He wanted to learn finance. He wanted to learn inventory. He he rose to become kitchen manager of two of my properties. And then after 15 years working for me at age 30, he left to start his own restaurant. And this is what happens in the business, right? You don't need a formal education. You can jump in at any point, learn as much as you can, apply yourself, and, and literally you know, build empires, you know, be the CEO of a national, uh, you know, sometimes international chain and just do whatever. So I'm, I'm always inspired by that. And I'm glad you brought that up. That's definitely part of your story as well. 
let's talk about the history of A&W. Let's go back to the beginning, the founders, you know, what started the brand and how the brand grew over literally a century. Yeah, we're, uh, we're into our second century. I like to say uh, the only second century growth brand in this industry. And uh, we started in uh, uh, 1919. Yeah, it's 102 years ago, as you had said, and it was Roy Allen, our founder, and he was a pharmacist in Lodi, California. Mm-hmm. And back in those days, and for quite some time afterwards, as you know, you know, soda, as we, you know, uh, as we know it today, was served at soda fountains in pharmacies. It was a concoction that uh, the pharmacist had made, that Roy Allen had made, and he put it in the you know, you put in the glass and you you pour the soda into it, and 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 that's where A and W was founded. Was in Lodi, California, a pharmacist. That store uh, 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 is no longer a pharmacy out in Lodi. It is actually a pet grooming salon in the original site of uh, the pharmacy. And there's actually a plaque in the sidewalk that I had the honor of uh, when I was gentrifying Lodi, California, about. I'm going to say 20 years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to go out there and set a plaque in the sidewalk in front of the original uh, root beer stand uh, that Roy Allen uh, did in his pharmacy. And then he uh, he put a root beer stand out in front of that pharmacy, and we've got we've got pictures of it. And he was welcoming home. He was part of the parade, welcoming home veterans from World War One. And they were marching right up downtown the uh, street in downtown Lodi. And you can see all the landmarks that t- still today that show up in that picture. And there he was. He had put a stand out in front of, the, front of his pharmacy and was uh, selling nickel root beers uh, to the uh, patrons and giving out free root beer to the uh, veterans that were in the World War I parade coming down Main Street Lodi. So That's awesome. That is just fantastic. You know, I, I had a feeling that there was some sort of a commemoration to the historic nature of that first location. And, you know, having that plaque, you know, that's a calling card for a community. That's, a, that's part of the history of that town. And, and where, you know, it's amazing. I love things like that. I'm, I'm a big fan of history, of course. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Let's talk about... Um, what makes the root beer so special? Is the formula the same? I mean, you said it started with soda fountains, and obviously that's long gone now. And now you have a packaged product that, you know, is available nationally at a retail level in addition to at the restaurants. But what mm-hmm. is it about that root I'm sure there's a secret formula, and I won't ask you to divulge that, of course. But tell us about the root beer itself and how that built the brand. Because obviously you get a menu that, uh, you know, all American food that's classic, of course, but the root beer really, in my mind, I, you know, seems like it started everything. Well, the root beer did start everything, Roger. And uh, you're right. It is available in can and bottle nationally. Um, we don't own that business. We're the restaurant business, but at, in the restaurants, we still, make every day in every restaurant, we make the root beer fresh in the store. So the recipe, there's been some tweaking of ingredients uh, over the years, uh, minor tweaks based on availability of ingredients, but essentially the recipe is exactly the same as it was 102 years ago. Uh, We use a a concentrate that we then brew the root beer uh, in each store 
every single day. We make it in small batches. Many stores produce uh, multiple batches throughout the course of the day. And that's, that's what makes it different from the, uh, uh, the product in the can and bottle, which is a very good product, but uh, we have no preservatives, uh, nor, you know, no, no artificial ingredients uh, per se, no, no, uh, no preservatives. Make it fresh in every restaurant every day. We, we carbonate at a slightly lower carbonation level than you would get out of can and bottle or you would get out of typical fountain. Mm. And that brings the creaminess uh, into play. And then, of course, the real magic in why, why we keep our dining rooms going and why we're not giving up on dining rooms is because of that frosted glass mug. So when you take uh, made fresh daily in the restaurant and you combine it with the uh, frosted mug, and of course, uh, who doesn't like a scoop of ice cream in it for a float, right? Uh, but that frosted mug, which you can only get in the restaurant, that's not something we can deliver. That's not something we can provide through the drive-through. We get it in the restaurant. And I can't tell you how many customers that I saw, I met in restaurants. How many employees I talked to in restaurants throughout the course of the last year that were saying, when are we gonna be able to bring the mug back? The customers asking every single day for the beverage in the mug. They understood that we, you know, through the worst of COVID last year, we were serving everything to go. But now that we brought the mug back and are bringing the mug back, Consumers are coming back into the dining rooms for that product. You're exactly right. That's what made the brand and continues to today. I, I like to say we were the original craft craft uh, beverage uh, provider in the industry, right? I totally see that. As long as we're talking about the mug, now you also have a mug club, which obviously I would consider to be a marketing hook. And, you know, I had restaurants that had, uh, you know, draft beer sales and, and full bars and all that kind of stuff. And we had a mug club and that became such an affinity builder with our fan base, our customers. And it increased the amount of times people came into our restaurant, the amount of money they spent. I mean, I'm sure that is the same strategies that you employ with the mug. How does your mug club work? Well, the mug club, the mug club is, is our version of a loyalty program, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You okay. sign up. You sign up for the Mug Club, and obviously the the the, the name for obvious reasons in in that our, our signature beverage served in a in a mug. So the Mug Club is really our loyalty program, and you're exactly right. We get fans. Uh, they join the Mug Club. They get special offers. They get a, you know free root beer float on special events, their birthdays, their anniversaries. They get um, and, and to welcome them back into the restaurants, and then. Of course, you know, loyalty, uh, we provide opportunity for them to become more loyal customers. They're our most loyal customers. And that visit, that, that mug club, uh, you know, continues to grow uh, year after year. But, it, but you're exactly right. It's that uh, frequent diner, that uh, passionate consumer uh, that re- we reward, as many brands do, uh, for their patronage uh, with 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 special offers and discounts and uh, throughout the course of the year. So our mug club is essentially our loyalty program. I bet you quite a few kids belong to that as well. 
Oh, it it, it does. Uh, we run into uh, we run into uh, some issues sometimes with the use of the word, word beer in root beer. Oh no, kidding! Um, but yeah, occasionally, you know, particularly some of the social media platforms and that, it's their algorithms kind of flag it. We we sort it out fairly right, right, right. easily, but mm -hmm. you know they, they they question that. But no, exactly right. We get a lot of kids and. You know, you, you mentioned that, Roger, in uh, 102 years, I mean, we are, we have uh, uh, certainly uh, customers and franchise partners, and we got, we got third and now fourth generation of consumers and franchise partners. And it always amazes me when I say, what well, the other thing we brought back <clears throat> since we acquired the business nine years ago, <clears throat> excuse me, is not only the made fresh root beer every day in every restaurant, <clears throat> but we brought back back the draft arm. Oh, excellent. And I'm always amazed with yes. the grandfathers and their grandparents and the parents bringing their kids or grandkids in and showing them how to pour the perfect mug of root beer. And God, the kids love that. And then, of course, that makes it easy to get them involved in the mug club. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll send them a mug of their own and we'll send them, you know, the same kind of offers we, we send everyone else. But that interaction with that mug, with that draft arm and pouring your own uh, frosty mug uh, is uh, is timeless. I mean, it, it is uh, it, it just tickles me every time I see a parent or a grandparent showing their, their kid or grandkid how to do that. Yeah, that's wonderful. So is there a certain creamy head that comes on every brute beer if there's a perfect pour or that sort of thing? Uh, there is. Uh, there is. Uh, there's a bit of a, <clears throat> it's, it's as much of an art as a science. And uh, just like with, with pouring a regular beer, you know, you got to get it down the side of the mug until you get to the end. And then you, you top it off at the end and you get that, that creamy head, if you may. Yes, and, that's part of the uh, show. <laughs> it, it's part of the show. That's right. And, yeah, and yeah. It, it, as much the show is, is our consumers being able to be part of the show, right, and interact with that, you know, with that beverage and with that mug is, is just is, is priceless. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the menu, right? Because classic burgers, of course, and mm -hmm. all American food that you would call it. Now, how often do you change menu items or bring in new menu items? There's an R&D process. Do you do focus groups and test it on your loyal fans and say, what do you think of this before you roll out a new product? How does that work? Yes, we do. Uh, we do. We, we do four limited time offers uh, per year. Uh, many brands do more than that. We do four per year that we do. And we do, you're exactly right. We test with our loyal fans, uh, uh, new products that we uh, develop in our, in our test kitchen and R and D. We do all kinds of consumer research and trends. And, and where we like to be is not so much the, the bleeding edge of the trend, but, a, but a leading edge, right? When something is, sort of established, but is still got a lot of popularity and you know, sriracha, for example, mm -hmm. as, as far yeah. as pepper. And, 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 and getting at, uh, it's about three years ago, we took our, our cheese curds, uh, Wisconsin cheese curds, which are a fan favorite. And we produced, it was three years ago, it might be four now, a sriracha curds. It just knocked the cover off the ball. I mean, and, and it didn't, the interesting thing about that product and we bring it back every year in the winter by uh, popular demand. We brought it back three years in a row. And it's almost 100% incremental business on top of our normal 
uh, Wisconsin cheese curd business that we have every day. So that, that's an example of, of a trend. And we bring, we bring back yearly because of the consumer demand. Of course, we do a lot with uh, burgers. Uh, it's one of our mainstay. If I don't know if you knew this, but uh, our uh, chairman, who has been a, uh, a franchise partner of ours, uh, of A&W since uh, 1963, uh, he uh, is uh, known to have invented the bacon cheeseburger. And so we, we, we promote it as the original bacon cheeseburger that was invented here. And if you look it up, if you Google it, you will see that Dale Mulder, our chairman, invented, he was just, Playing around the kitchen one day, you know, that's the original R and D, right? Just playing around the kitchen. What would you like? You know, cheeseburgers are so popular. I'll probably throw some bacon on it, right? So that was that was sort of our original uh some of our original R and D. But one of the things that we've been very successful with uh over the last six or seven years, and it's all over the industry now with chicken sandwiches and, and such, is we changed our uh uh, chicken tenders uh, went from a chicken strip in uh, 2014, and uh, we started making uh, hand-breaded chicken tenders uh, using the tenderloin of the chicken and hand-breading them in the store every day. And we've grown that business almost threefold, and in a little over six years. And you know that's a, a, a quality. When we acquired the business uh, a little over nine years ago. Um, we set quality as our value proposition, not not price. And that's a great example of it. And over the years, we've been able to do different things with sauces, with dipping sauces, and with coatings and that, with that hand-breaded chicken tender. And that, is, that has been one of our more successful, if not most successful, R&D products uh, and tests. And, and we spent a better part of two years on that before we rolled it out. And we just keep selling more and more every day. And of course, you know, the industry and what's happened to the chicken business. Absolutely. Of course, there's some uh, supply chain uh, challenges mm-hmm. today. Oh, but. yeah. Beef, pork, <laughs> chicken, proteins. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, uh, God. that's a reality yeah. of the, co- you know, the post-COVID as we come out of the pandemic. This is one of the last struggles. Yeah, it, it is. And, and then getting back to the product development in R&D, we've been uh, in the last year because of some of the supply chain challenges, we've been a little slower on product development. It's certainly on rolling out because of the strain on the supply chain. Um, it, it's, it's real. And we are, we are uh, a member of the largest purchasing co-op in the industry. And that gives us a lot of leverage, uh, given our scale. We've got, as you point out, we've got a little over 500, 530 stores here in the U.S. We've got another uh, close to 400 in uh, Southeast Asia. And uh, while that's, you know, sizable uh, compared to the larger brands in our, in our category, we're, we're a smaller player. But we belong to the largest purchasing co-op as part of the Young Purchasing Co-op, which is a great value uh, proposition for our our operators, for our franchise partners, as far as margins are concerned. But even with that, supply chain challenges are are real, uh, both in the supply and and distribution. You know, the, 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 the distribution challenges are there as well. So we've been we've been careful in the past 15 months or so uh, since COVID started in some of the new product development. 
we're ramping that up again uh, now that we're able to get in person, whether it be focus groups, whether it be our franchisees coming together, whether it be our loyal fans coming together. We like to get our loyal fans together in a restaurant, right? And sample three or four different products in one of our restaurants here in Lexington, uh, Kentucky, and get there, get live feedback. And of course, we've been restricted in being able to do that. So we're excited that uh, we've got some activities starting again in September, uh, and hopefully that will continue live and in person as we go forward, because we like bringing out new stuff. We like, uh, you know, it, and it's as much for our current guests and our loyal guests as it is for new guests, right? Just give them something new and interesting to, to, uh, to look forward to. Yeah, you know, when we ran restaurants, we called it the amusement park theory. Every year you need a new ride to keep the customers coming back for more. <laughs> uh, there you go. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, Well, you know, you've, you've uh, certainly experienced double-digit growth. The past, you had nine, you know, consecutive years of growth, but literally even during the pandemic and then the year prior, this chain continues to move forward in a positive direction. What do you attribute that specifically to? Wow. Uh, a couple of things, uh, Roger. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give, uh, you, you know, you've been in the business. It's the operators. It's what happens at those restaurants every day, right? That makes the difference. It's our franchise partners. Uh, many of our franchise partners here in the United States are single unit, two unit owner operators, and they work their stores. Their stores are in their communities, their, their customers are their neighbors, and they're the ones that have delivered year in and year out. All we, we do is provide them, you know, perhaps some new product news, uh, provide them some tools, provide them some technology to execute, but it's really our operators on a day-to-day. -day. The restaurant industry, you know this, right? The, uh, you know, the, the most important uh, person in the place is, is, is the one that's run it, sets the tone, sets the culture for the business. So our franchise partners have done a terrific job over the years, as you, as you said. So we acquired the business nine years ago. Our, our uh, average unit volumes and our comp sales are up over 50%. Unbelievable. That's awesome. Uh, in, in nine years. And pen, when COVID hit last year, I mean, March and April, we had about five weeks of, oh, what's going on here, right? Mm -hmm. sure. And, uh, you know, we rallied the troops. Uh, we stopped royalty payments. We stopped ad fund payments. You know, cash is going to be king. So you guys keep your money. You know, Beautiful. we're mostly a franchise business. Keep your money. We'll sort it out later, right? Of course, our our, our uh, principal shareholders are our franchisees. Our uh, a franchise association here in the U.S. and our largest international franchisee are our our majority shareholders of this business. So we're truly partners. When we talk about franchise partners, they're truly partners. But we got together, I mean, we were literally on webinars every single day. But something interesting happened. I mean, 102 years of history and three and four generation of franchisees, we've seen tough times before. They've seen tough times before. Rally together, it became obvious very quickly that the business was gonna be through drive-through and carry out. And so we just doubled down everything on the drive-through, opened up temporary second drive-through lanes, put tablets out there, just really focused everything to the drive-through business. And you mentioned our heritage stores previously. 
the drive-in restaurants, which is what this the business was founded on back yes. in the in the sixties. Yep. Uh, we still have uh, forty five of those out there. They did the best because here's what happened, Roger. They had they had eight or ten or fifteen or twenty spots where people could pull up and order. And at the time, most local municipalities wouldn't even allow cars to stay in the parking lot. They had to, we packaged everything to go, they got it and they left. So in those stores, we had 12, 15 stalls. We had car hops running carry out food out to them and they were going away. Those stores performed the best. And again, those are just attributed to our operators that just did a terrific job and just, you know, great operators, just figure it out, right? But operators going into, you know, May business came back last year, right? May was a very strong month for us um, after a disastrous March and April. And we had operators in May going, my God, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this kind of business. <clears throat> I'm going to be able to do my peak business in July, June and July and August. By God, they did it. We had, as you said, we had nine, ten straight months of double-digit cons starting in May of last year. And so the operators are the ones that made it. The franchise partners are the one that made it. And the second thing that I would give would, would say is our commitment to quality <clears throat> is our long-term value proposition. Quality is a defensible value proposition over the long term. And I believe very strongly that we we definitely saw a lot of new customers last year. We're seeing a lot of new customers this year, whether they're new or lapsed users. And they've come back and they've seen that emphasis on quality. And we literally over nine years, we've gone through every portion of our menu. We've upgraded the quality, upgraded the procedures, upgraded the 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 the, the, the ingredients that go in it, upgraded the execution of it with this literally single-minded focus on, on quality as our value proposition. And we can't compete and don't want to compete in the discount games. And so we don't. And I believe the consumer today has given us credit for that. And we're seeing with 9% comps last year through year to date, we're plus 20. We're plus 25% versus 2019 Results so, speak for themselves. Results speak for themselves. So, you know, our strategy has been on quality and providing our franchise partners who are really the engine that makes this work with the tools to execute every day. That's really the, the reason we're at where we're at today. You made a decision to sort of fly in the face of the rest of the industry by not scaling back dining room operations. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Well, you know, during, uh, you know, last year, much of last year, we couldn't use the dining room other than for care up because of, you know, local uh, uh, restrictions and, and CDC guidelines, et cetera. Of course. And, uh, you know, where there was a lot of pressure. We had a lot of pressure. I had a lot of pressure on, uh, you know, eliminating dining rooms, going to drive through only, you know, focusing, uh, you know, on delivery, ghost kitchens, you name it. I mean, it was all... Certainly during uh, April, March and April last year. Then, as business started coming out of it, and as, as I mentioned earlier, an awful lot of consumers, my uh, COO and I went on the road uh, late last summer and visited a bunch of restaurants. We heard every single restaurant we went into when can we get the frosted mug back? When can we get the frosted mug back? And so, as we started reopening dining rooms, right? We, we saw this, and, and a, lot of our, a lot of our stores are in smaller 
rural communities. Not all of them, but of our traditional stores, a lot of them are small. And so we're the we're the meeting place, we're the gathering place. And what we found, we started opening dining rooms. This like we're seeing through you know all the consumer behavior today is this pent up demand, right? People got tired of eating in their cars. People got tired of getting food delivered to their house. They just wanted to get out. They want you know we're social. Right. We're social beings, right? That's the whole thing about the hospitality industry. So, you know, we saw that. And then, of course, that interaction, and, and I can't uh, overestimate that because it's, it's truly real, that interaction that that consumer has with that fresh-made root beer and that frosted mug and the smiles that brings that pick. And I can't do that through a drive through and I can't deliver it. So we're keeping dining rooms. We're, we're, we're keeping them. And uh, again, as you said, you know, our scorecard is uh, what we tell our operators every day. We want to we want to grow profitable same store sales with an emphasis on the profit profitability for our franchise partners. Right. So that's that's why the quality uh, aspect of it. And that's what we want to deliver on every day. And the consumer wants that frosty mug and they want that root beer. And they also have the option and convenience of the takeout model that uh, is kind of the new normal for so many restaurants. Yeah, it, of course. Uh, drive-in and uh, you know the drive-through business has increased uh, dramatically. Uh, it's it's settling in a little bit as dining rooms have reopened. If if before the pandemic we were fifty-five percent drive-through and forty-five percent dine-in. That went to 100% right drive uh, drive through drive in or or carry out business, and we're setting we're seeing that settling in now at you know 80 20, 70 30, and we're we're seeing customers going back. We're seeing a 20 to 30 percent of our business is coming into the dining room, and that mug is a big big reason. That's, that's tremendous. Now, this country is absolutely struggling with the labor crisis, especially the hospitality business. You know, it's like it doesn't matter what state you're in. And the challenge is, as you know, the pandemic is waning and the vaccinations are increasing and consumer confidence is back and pent up demand is huge and sales are rising. You know, restaurant operators are struggling to serve the customers without cutting back their hours, cutting back their days of operation. Are you seeing any of that in your business model? Uh, there's no question about it. And it varies across the country, but it, but it's real everywhere. A little bit less of an issue in some of the smaller communities that we do business in, thankfully, uh, for our operators there, but it, it's, it's, it's real everywhere. Um, and we've been putting a lot of focus on it in uh, a lot more on retention as opposed to recruiting, yes. right? You get yes. the people, keep the people. And that gets back to what I said earlier about the operators that are running the store. It's really a culture in those restaurants, right? Pay is part of it. There's no question about it. We've had to up our, we've had to up our pay, but it's really how those people are treated. Uh, sure. Some flexibility in scheduling, uh, having fun. You know, this, this should be a fun business, right? And we like to promote the fun. And, and recognition is a big part of it as well. We have uh, we have a, a program we call uh, the Bear Cares. And the bear is our, our mascot, Rudy, the great root bear. And, and it, it's really about recognizing people for doing. We have, we, we have a culture of recognizing people, finding people doing things right, right? 
as as uh, one of my uh, uh, VPs of uh, restaurant support services is is known to say. So you know, any any idiot can go in and find ten things wrong. It takes it takes time and thought to find and look for and recognize things that are being done right. So we have a culture of recognition. Um, uh, pay is certainly a big part of it. Uh, recruiting, certainly uh, referrals, and that gets back to the culture. If you got good people that are working for you, they want good people. Referrals is a big part of how uh, we recruit, but but with a real emphasis on retention. It's uh, the the challenges are real. We've 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 got you know we've had restaurants that have had to limit their hours, that have had to limit their service. I had, have had to close the dining room, not because of COVID, but because of lack of labor. Sure. Um, I've been in this business a long time. You've been involved in the industry. These things will pass over time. But I think the labor, the, the economic model uh, is changed uh, dramatically for our industry. And I think that's here to stay. And that's where I'm so so pleased with the emphasis we put on uh, quality is our value proposition nine, almost 10 years ago. And now we stayed to it because we don't have to, we don't have to quit discounting or stop the dollar menu in order to increase wages because we were never there. We were never there. So we don't have to dig out of that discounting hole, but uh, because wages are up, there's just no question about it. Will that subside come September, come the end of, you know, supplemental unemployment? I think that's part of it. Roger, but that's not that's not all of it. I mean, you got the gig economy. You've got so much warehouse. You know, we've got so many other uh, businesses that are competing for the same labor force as we have. So we just have to be that much more competitive. Um, and I think we'll see teenage. We're seeing it already. We're seeing now with school coming to a close. We're seeing teenagers come back in to work in our restaurants that we didn't have last year because of COVID. Their parents didn't want them working. We're seeing them come in. And as you know, in our industry, particularly in our space, our teenage workforce uh, is a big part of, and it's a lot of first jobs. It's where you and I started, right? Absolutely right. That's correct. And that, and that hopefully will continue because it's such a great education for mm -hmm. people to get into this business, whether they stay in hospitality or not. There's so many life lessons you learn in this business that you can take anywhere to any career, you know? Uh, Unbelievable. Uh, I, I, I tell people that uh, literally every single day. I, I quit college. I was working in this business. I quit college. I went back and I got my MBA when I was in my 50s, right? And all that. And at that point, I really realized how much I had learned in the industry. I'm with, I'm with finance guys. I'm with, you know, econ majors and all that. I'm in business school, right? And I knew my numbers from growing up in this business. I, I had a P&L as a report card since I started working as a shift manager, right? Get a report card every month, right? Every yes. day we get labor and food costs, right? And, and it's amazing how much you learn. And then, of course, if you, love, if you like people as I do, and if you're a social being, this is a great industry to be in. I was in my 20s when I went through my MBA program. It must have been quite different at 50. Were you mostly with younger people? Were there any older people like yourself that were in the program? And, you know, did you kind of breeze through it because you had that old education that some of these kids just didn't have? 
Well, it was interesting. I went, it was in a, an executive MBA program, so it required okay. everyone yes. to have 10 or more years of management experience. It was actually one uh, one individual in my course that was older than I was at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a couple that were like in the late 40s, early 50s. Most were in their sort of mid-30s to early 40s. Uh, most in my class were. And so they weren't kids uh, necessarily. They'd been out in the workforce. And for me, what it was, I, you know, I'd, ne I'd never took an accounting class or a, 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 an econ class uh, before I got into the MBA. And that's sort of where I struggled was really, um, you know, that's where I really had to double down. And that was sort of the first semester and get everybody on the same page. Once I got past that, when it came to yeah, everything was done in teams, right? So well, yes. I mean, you learn a lot about teamwork in this industry. That's for sure. Everything was done with teams and it was a lot of putting together presentations and making the presentation. Well, I've been presenting to board of directors for years, right? So Absolutely. I was like, you guys put the deck together. I'm happy to present. Um, I, yeah. I, can, I can handle the tough questions. I got no sure. problem with that. And that's Excellent. where, that's where the difference was. And it really mm -hmm. made me realize again, to your point earlier, Roger, how much you can learn in this industry through osmosis just by being there right. and by by being interested in learning. There's so much to learn. I mean, I, I still learn every day. In fact, I think as I get older, the less I know. So <laughs> the more there is to learn. Yeah, you mentioned fun earlier. This is a fun business and the teenagers are having fun and they're learning how to interact with customers and deliver service and be part of a team. And all these are, you know, some of those skills and life lessons we talked about. But there's also a passion element that rubs off at some point where suddenly you become passionate about the business and about hospitality and service and product quality and all these things, you know, and I think that runs really, really deep in this business. It's clearly evident in speaking to you. You have a passion for what you do and a passion for the quality and a passion for the chain. And just everything you've done has led you to this place. And it's just inspiring. And I know that, you know, the COVID pandemic is probably the most challenging thing that this business will ever face. And operators have really had to dig deep and just, if they're still standing, kudos to them because it's decimated a lot of the industry, of course. But I think it's really time to rediscover why people got into this business in the first place, rediscover that passion and rediscover, you know, inspiration, innovation, and how they can put their best foot forward to improve their business in the future with everything we've learned with what's just happened in the past year. You know, I'm sure you would agree with that as well. Yeah, no question. I mean, it just, uh, gosh, it just, it feels, it, it just, it, it's just feeling so much better now today than obviously than a year ago. And as we get out to restaurants, we get out to bars, you get out, you know, again, we're social beings, right? And you just, it, it just uh, is, is heartwarming uh, to me to see people out and about again in, in flocking to restaurants. And as you say, those that are yeah, still is. standing, um, you know, there, there's light at the end of the tunnel. For sure. Um, yep. and, optimism. And it's not a, a freight train, right? Yeah, optimism. You know, unfortunately, for the number of restaurants and uh, too many to, to to count that that have had to close over time, you know, uh, it's a resilient resilient people in this industry, and and over time they'll reopen. And I see it in our local community now, you know, and just people, and it may be a different location, it may be a different con concept, 
So restaurateurs are coming back, right? They've had to close down, but they're, they're coming back at it. And I think the, the, the future, certainly in the uh, uh, coming months and in, in, in next several years, is I think the future is very, very bright for our industry as a whole, not just for our brand, but I think for an industry as a whole, which uh, we have a need. As people, we have a need to socialize, and there's this pent-up demand uh, that, and we all miss it. I certainly have. And so I'm really enjoying being able to get out in the body. We're seeing a lot of new opportunity for operators just getting into this business, you know, with the shakeout of the pandemic and whatnot. Are you seeing, you know, an increase in potential franchisees that are looking at A&W right now? Do you have uh, a certain projection for number of new franchise locations in the years to come? What are you seeing there? Yeah, we, uh, we, we have seen an uptick, uh, of course, uh, back in March last year and for about a six-month period of time, like, literally everything stopped. I mean, it just, it just stopped. <laughs> I know. But we've seen that slowly come back. And this year, we've seen it come back very, very strongly. We have, uh, we have 21 uh, units uh, in our uh, pipeline, new stores in our pipeline, and new commitments both from existing operators and uh, from new franchise partners. We have a very robust uh, pipeline. We're getting a lot of interest, and interest there. You know, we, we've seen this in the industry in the franchising side of the industry before, when there's been economic uh, pain, if you may, and people have uh, lost jobs and whatever you, you get or they take stock right in in their lives and they say you know what i you know i want to work i want to i want to be my own boss right i want to i want to i want to do my own thing and so franchising is a great way to get into it you know you're in business for yourself but not by yourself right franchising industry is great and and um uh, so we're seeing an influx the other part of it is and there's there's no magic to this and and that is our with our volume increases, the unit economics have improved. So we're getting a more interest from operators of other brands. We're getting more interest from um, uh, just people that don't necessarily have the same affinity for the brand as I do, but are looking at the economic model. When you get yes. the, the sort of same store sales growth, you know the economics of oh, yeah. the oh, sure. unit. Yeah, you, know, you get you get that same store sales growth, and you get a great flow through to the bottom line, right? Well, we've seen nine years of that, and then this past year has been the strongest, yet, and it continues into 2021. So, uh, existing operators that are seeing that that impact on their on their bottom lines uh, are stepping up and opening new restaurants, uh, people from outside the organization, and so. Uh, we're seeing activity uh, pick up now. Um, uh, we look to, we're, we're targeting in the next uh, 12 months uh, that we would open uh, 18 to 20 new restaurants, say from July this year to through June next year. And we see that, we see that, see that accelerating with the pipeline that we have in place because I think we're, we're, we're about to, uh, we've got probably 10 or 12 uh, locations uh, in the pipeline that are uh, very close to uh, being finalized. So I think uh, in the next month or two, we're going to have a pipeline of uh, close to 30 new locations. It's just a question of how long did they take to come out of the ground? A lot of this is new development. And with some of the headwinds, uh, you know, whether it be labor, whether construction materials, 
that's moving a little bit slow. Even permitting is, is, you know, is moving very slow. Inspections are moving very slow as things slowly reopen. And of course, you know, some of these government entities aren't necessarily the first to reopen. They're more the last, but we see it. We see a lot of, uh, uh, activity on the horizon as 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 we move forward, and you know we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, and that's doing a putting a quality product out in front of the consumer with uh, you know a fair price point. Um, but we're not going to give our we're not going to give our great stuff away. Fantastic, that's excellent. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today, Kevin. Have we missed anything? Anything else you want to tell us about AMW or best advice you have to operators out there? Whatever you'd like to share. Well, I think we, you're right. We've covered a lot of territory, and and for me, uh, you know, the, really the advice is we're, we're a franchisor. We have this iconic brand, and we're a franchisor, and it really gets down to what I just said a few minutes ago. We're we're laser focused on it, and we have been for nine plus years since since we acquired the business is. It's a penny profit business, right? Certainly in our segment, it's it's penny profit, and you just get a lot of pennies, and and they add up to dollars over time. But it's really about the economics of it, and uh, you want to you you, you want to grow the business, you want to open new locations, you want to you want to be successful in the business. It's really about the unit economics, right? Can you uh, can you drive profitable sales, and in our case, profitable same store sales? We're we're franchisors, and uh, we're committed to being a good franchisor. That's our our mission in life. So it's really about unit economics. We want our franchise partners. You're in business to make money. We want our franchise partners to make money. So we're we are about profitability. We're about growing profitable uh, same store sales. That's a that's been our recipe for success. But. You know, it all comes down to executing at the store level. And that gets down to the, you know, the ownership, the management, the people. And it's really, I learned long ago in this business that uh, you take care of your people and your people will take care of you and they'll take care of the guests. And that's never been more important than it is today with the labor challenges you have. So we're very proud that we built a culture in that. Um, that we that we take care of people. That doesn't make it a slam dunk. You got to think about it every day. And a couple of other things, and they lead to they, they lead to really just sensibility. And 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 we like to look at this business as in a very common sense manner. And you know, I'm an operator. We talked about that before. Been an operator for a long time. And because of our unique ownership structure with our franchise association here in the U.S. being a significant shareholders. Everything we do, Roger, that touches a restaurant gets filtered through that group first. We don't, you know, it's not mandates from the corporation and from the company or from Kevin. It's really a group effort and and really, you know, uh, talking to operators about ideas and about uh, initiatives before we filter them out to the store. So we have this filter, our franchise association that everything runs through um that while it takes a little bit longer we believe we make uh, better decisions uh, that are uh, better uh, enable operators to execute at the store level and uh, as we talked earlier i go back and stand on our report card of nine now ten years of same store sales increases at uh, at the levels we've at so uh, but key is take care of your people your people will take care of you and take care of your customers 
That sounds like an absolute winning formula to me, Kevin. <laughs> Fantastic. Let me ask you, I'm sure you travel around to, you know, obviously visit different locations, different franchisees from time to time. And I'm sort of inspired. My wife and I are are into this show called Undercover Boss. And I'm not sure oh. if you've ever seen it, but it's so I interesting have. that, well, you know, for those of the audience that haven't seen it, it's a really interesting show that takes a CEO of a major company. It's not always a restaurant. It can be. It could be a hotel chain. It could be a lumberyard. It doesn't matter. But the CEO literally goes undercover in disguise, takes a job at a location, and performs in the trenches alongside the other co-workers and kind of sees from in the trenches, from the, you know, from the inside out, how things are really working at the store level. And that may seem a little underhanded or a little, you know, catch you by surprise, but I'm, I'm not sure if anything like that is your approach. But when you go into a store, what do you see? What do you find? Um, how gratifying is that for you? Yeah, I, I spent, you know, my roots are in the stores, as we talked about earlier. I spend a lot of time. My, my favorite part of uh, my job, and, and, and that's getting into the stores. Um, you know, when you love what you do, uh, it's not work, right? So when I'm in stores, uh, it's not work. But I, I've been in this business for so long, and, and I'm sure you, you get this. You, you can feel when you walk in it was, if it's right or if it's not right. And if it's not right, then it's just like finding the source. But when I go into restaurants, I make a beeline to the staff. I talk to the counter staff and I go into what I call the engine room. I go into the kitchen, right? And I talk to the staff. You want to know what's going on in a restaurant? You want to know how things are working? Go to talk to the staff. I mean, the manager, the owner, they're great and they're wonderful. But, you know, the staff really is, is a day. And those are my roots. And I just love going into restaurants and I love talking to staff. And, uh, you know, our operators, our franchise partners learn pretty quickly that it's hard as long as I've been in this business. And again, I grew up in that kitchen. I grew up behind that bar. Um, uh, it's, it's, uh, you feel things, right? And, and it's hard to put a finger on it sometimes, but you just feel when a place is working well and you can feel when a place is not working well. And it's hard to explain sometimes, but I think you get it. You've been in this business. I think you get it. Yeah, I mean, I always try to take a fresh perspective, walk, walk outside the door, put my customer hat on. I train my entire staff to do that, not to come in the back door. Everyone comes through the front door and literally notices things before the customer sees them. And we empowered our team to fix the things that they could fix, that whether it was trash in the parking lot, dirty windows, a burned out light bulb, it's like we had 50 sets of eyes to kind of come through the front door. And we made sure that the customer saw nothing that was a miss. And if there was something the staff couldn't take care of, then they bring it to your attention. We fix it immediately. And, you know, that served us well. So you have a similar philosophy. Yes, sir. <laughs> Kevin, it's been my pleasure hosting you on the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks so much for being with us. Roger, thank you for uh, your time. Awesome, guys. Thanks for listening. Hey, you know, we talked so much about the importance of systems in this episode. You know, systems that train your staff, systems that dial in your finances, 
the importance of marketing firepower, building what I call affinity, that intense loyalty of customers, and A&W certainly has that. So thanks again to the Restaurant Rockstars Academy for bringing us this episode. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Academy, it is a turnkey series of systems that cover the three essentials of running a super successful restaurant. One, cost controls, maximizing profit. Two, training, developing, nurturing, recognizing, and rewarding your staff to build what I call the dream team, and three, marketing firepower and affinity. It's all included in the Restaurant Rockstars Academy, so check it out at restaurantrockstars.com. Really appreciate all the calls I've been getting. You know, I love talking shop with operators. Thanks. Big reach out to uh, Ben from Ben's Burgers in Iowa. Just spoke to him yesterday, and I love talking about, you know, just challenges that restaurants are having or just talking shop in general. It's so much fun. And, um, you know, I'd love to help if I can. So if there's a pain point, a challenge, or you just want to talk about something that's going on in your restaurant, reach out to me, Roger, R-O-G-E-R at restaurantrockstars.com. I offer a free 30-minute consultation, again, just to talk shop. So if uh, you'd like to do that, please reach out to me. We really appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for leaving us a review on iTunes, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.